Hey, welcome to episode 45 of Tangible Takeaways. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how the book of Esther helps us see what God's up to in our own lives. And I'm Brian, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the providential hand of God and how through His providence, if we look for the right notice from the right person, we are grounded very securely. Yeah, all that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Brian, thanks for being on. Yeah, no, no problem, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah. And uh, you were we're here in chapter two of Esther in kind of our step up series, yeah. and you were one of the live teachers this weekend. Yep. So just kind of take feeling. me through. Um, a, it's Mother's Day. This is a weird text to uh-huh. be in for Mother's Day, right. but just kind of take me through kind of some of the preparation or some of the kind of things that you had to wrestle with in this passage before we get into anything specific. Just what were kind of some of the things you had to wrestle with? Yeah, we're so. You know, we're introduced to the main character, the the namesake, right, for the book. Yeah. And so it's it's wrestling through how is Esther Hadassah being used in this portion in chapter two in her introduction. What what do we learn about her? Mm. How does that play itself out? And you have to almost have the full book in mind to understand what's going on, rather than just say, oh, like take it as it comes. You know, we've got to look at. Yeah, as it comes, but also, how does that fit into the whole storyline? Yeah, how does that fit into the point uh, of the of the book of the narrative and the fact that it's wisdom literature too? I mean, it's it's a whole nother layer, um, and wisdom literature not being like something that we're really accustomed to to interfacing with. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a direct do this because it, it says this. It's more, hey, there's some truths about God here on these pages. Yeah, you need to look for them. And as you apply them, then things will go well with you. You know, your your life will yeah. reflect the authority of God, the design of God, and His will for for your heart, mind, and the people around you are watching that. And so mm. that's you know the challenge with Esther is what is this young orphan woman? Yeah, in all of her characteristics have to do with the plan of God as revealed through the wisdom of the book of Esther. Yeah, that's a great point to make even in the distinction of it being wisdom literature Mm -hmm. because it's so different from, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's a narrative. And it's so different from other Old Testament narratives because other Old Testament narratives really do point out something generally noble about the person that we're looking at. Right. Or And as the story unfolds, you can say, man, I want to be patient and trust in God the way that David did. Or I want to have faith like Abraham. Or you can look at some of those kind of noble characteristics mm-hmm. of somebody. And Esther is not going to be that along the ride where you're like, man, I hope I handle this just like Esther did right here. It's culminating to make a point in the totality of the story, but it's not chapter by chapter, like, here's some great takeaways for us today. It's more like, well, it's still building, you know? Yeah, no, noticing the nuances and noticing what is brought up is important, but not maybe giving it um, too much attention until you know the full story. And that's that characteristic of wisdom literature, trying to just pin something down very exactly, which we're used to thinking like that. Yeah. And in an ancient Near Eastern Hebrew mindset, maybe that's not what is going on. There is a meaning and it has a point, but that point isn't arrived to so microwave generation. Yeah. Like, here's what it is. It's very, very drawn out and draws you into the story. Mm. And you start to identify with things in the story, people in the story, 
Um, and you just got to be careful that you're paying attention to what's going on yeah. rather than bringing a bunch of meaning from yourself into the text. So yeah. That's hard. That's the challenge. That's hard. Yeah. Especially yeah. when preaching it, because there's so many easy yeah. parts to do that yep. in, but you kind of have to avoid right. it. Right. And last week on Tangible Takeaways, we kind of launched this idea of providence. It's a mm-hmm. huge theological theme yeah. throughout the book. Where would you say we see God's providence on display in chapter two here in Esther? Yeah. So that, that purposeful you know, purposeful governing yeah. uh, of the world, purposeful orchestrating of, of things. I think it's, it's interesting. You can, you can see it all the way through, whether that's Xerxes, chap, you know, chapter 2, verse 1, he remembers Vashti. Mm. He had an eye for and remembered her beauty and, you know, his desire for her or in some regard, whether that was, you know, in the sexual realm or not. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But we know he remembered her. Mm. Yeah. After his fury subsided, the fact that he's the king who remembers that he likes beautiful women becomes important because then we're introduced to Hadassah, Esther, who was a beautiful young Jewish woman. Mm. Well, there is a providential reality there. It's not a stamp on Xerxes, you know, way of looking at women. It's not a stamp on the fact that Esther was beauty. God's more concerned with internal beauty, like you know, yeah. uh, First Peter 3, like there's, this isn't the point. We can't get hung up on the, oh, God likes beautiful people. No, that's not the point. Yeah, but that's where using, your takeaway is yeah, going to get all messed up. Yeah, that's where you start, you know, twisting things up. The point is Xerxes was attracted to beautiful women. This little Jewish orphan was a beautiful woman. Yeah. God will eventually use this to accomplish his purposes. It's not a stamp of approval on the Persian view of beauty, it is the providential hand of God using a man's inclinations and then God allowing to put the people in the right places, mm. you know, yeah. that have those things that fit those inclinations to bring about his work. Even Mordecai, like we don't know, right? Was Mordecai a good guy, a bad guy? We know he's a Jewish guy. Yeah. That's what we know. He's a and Jewish we also guy. know he's not returned to the land That's what I mean. like he's a, supposed a Jew, to. A Jewish guy that was disobedient in, yeah. in, in at least that point. Yeah. And so we have this, this, and his name isn't even Jewish. It's, it's this weird Persian name that is not, you know, it seems to be he's a little culturally saturated, even mm. as we talked about this weekend. So the fact that God will use the desires of people and then put things into place that will bring it about is a really important part of his providence. It mm. doesn't give a stamp of approval on their actions. Yeah. It doesn't make God culpable for their wrong actions, but it shows his ability in all wisdom, authority, and knowledge to be above and outside of their bad actions and mm. their bad thoughts and their bad understandings of the way the world should work mm. and for him to use it yeah. to accomplish his purposes. Very similarly to what we see in the gospel, right? What Satan thought was the nail in the the coffin, so yeah. to speak, and the nail in the cross actually proved to be his own defeat. The irony of the fact that it was through death that we are given life, yeah. even though we are deserving of death through our wrong action, and Christ was without wrong action. Yeah. So there, the irony is And even is those moments leading up to the cross are very providential in Correct. the way that the trials go. And similarly to Esther, you don't get the and God was working in Mm -hmm. the Jewish leaders or working in Pilate or whatever it is. It wasn't, you don't get that uh, 
attributed to God, but you know that he's working behind the scenes Correct. as well, providentially. Yeah, and, and you know, it's hard not to read little nuances into the text, but we see happening over and over again, Hadassah, Esther comes in. We're only given her name, that Hadassah, her Jewish name once, and then mm. she takes on the persona of Esther, the the um, the star, or maybe even a, a throwback to the goddess Ishtar, the goddess of love and war, which becomes very important throughout the whole book. Um, she is winning the favor of everyone she comes into contact with. Yeah. Now, is it simply because of her beauty? There, there is that. There is that for sure, because that's the characteristic we are absolutely definitively given about her. Yeah. That she was beautiful, and she was a, had a lovely figure form. So she was a stunning girl. Well, why did God allow this, you know, Jewish girl who was an orphan in Susa to be stay, you know, to stay there with her adopted cousin father, right? Mm -hmm. And then she always is doing, you know, what she's told. Providentially, God put a girl who was a little bit of a um, um, wanting to please those over her. Yeah. In this position. Yeah. Which is interesting because ultimately it's implied, right? Who's over her is God. Mm. God's over her. God's over her. And it's through obedience that you receive this um, continual providential nature of God coming back where you can see it. Disobedience will never derail it. Mm. And that's one of the cool things about this book. Yeah. Disobedience does not derail the providence of God. Yeah. Obedience helps you to see it mm. and then maybe be a part of that positive side of it, mm. just like Jesus. Jesus was not disobedient. He received a punishment as if he was and in so conquered everything. Yeah, and was es ultimately yeah, obedient. Yeah, ultimately obedient. Esther was just beautiful. Yeah, and even providentially beautiful to the standard of the day, whatever that, whatever was, that was, because it's certainly it's not what we would target, consider man. beautiful today. No, it is a moving target. It's ever-changing. I mean, you look at, you can do plenty of study, you look at the Renaissance era, how different beauty was considered there versus, you know, you go back 2,500 years to Esther, and you're like, what was the standard of beauty? But providentially, she met it perfectly at the, right for the, at the right time for the yeah. king. Yep. So just, you can see it, and Esther gets moved into the right place, and then even the way that the chapter ends, Mordecai comes across the right thing, because right. that's going to become a cornerstone, a pretty big deal Correct. moving forward in the story. Yeah. And even Mordecai, you know, where he was hanging out at the king's gate, that wasn't just a hangout. That was probably, he was seeking political movement. He was trying to get prominence. Um, I use the example of, you can guarantee Mortar was on Twitter, mm, trying yeah. to amass followers. Like yeah. that was kind of, you see kind of his maybe personality come out. He comes across something and then he does very shrewdly, he approaches it through Esther, yeah, the queen, the beautiful one who's won the favor of everyone. Um, and then, you know, that gets written down, and we'll see that resurface later. And so the providential hand of God using even the inclinations of Mordecai, which we don't know whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, yeah. but he uses them. Yeah. He uses them to continue pushing the ball down the court, which the overarching, you know, uh, storyline or the main point, what I think, is this idea that God has not forgotten his people. Hmm. They're in this place because of disobedience. They were exiled here because of their disobedience, their lack of worshiping him. They were worshiping other gods. 
And one of the things that led them into worshiping other gods, right, was that they were marrying women mm. of foreign descent. And not foreign, we can't think of this as different nationality, different faith. That was yeah. the point. When God said, don't marry outside of the Jewish people, we don't have to think of, oh, bloodlines. We have to think of covenantal people. Mm. And there was a real easy way for people to become part of the Jewish covenant mm. by submitting to the law, going through the rite of circumcision, and joining themselves to the people. So this yeah. wasn't a nationality thing. Yeah. But it is a very important part because it was through men's desire and attraction for the beautiful woman that served other gods that even got them to this point. Hmm. And God uses a beautiful woman who in the preservation serves of this. Another God who serves another the God. Serves another God. Yeah. So it's there's all these ironic realities surfacing, just showing this providential nature and hand of God yeah. cannot, will not be thwarted. It will not, yeah. it's not possible. Can't mess it up. That doesn't ever mean that we just go with the flow. And I think that's what's really challenging about Esther is that you can't really prop any one of these characters up as like the faithful one right. or the hero or what. as much as you want to. You want to like find that moment where you can say like, and Esther was just awesome and faithful. And it's like, yeah, but Already, Esther and Mordecai being there was like disobedience. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to go back to the land. They had been invited to. And so there's this challenge where you see God using broken situations and disobedient people. And certainly our takeaway can't be like, oh, well, the more broken my situation right. and the more disobedient I am, right. the higher chance I have of God right. using me. That's definitely not the takeaway. Right. But it can be jarring for us to see that. Yeah. But I think if you look at any of our Old Testament heroes— you'd see the same thing about them. And we don't talk about it much with the apostles, but you can't get around the fact that the apostles were just people who were broken and fallen as well. Right. And so as much as we want to prop everybody up, the Bible, if we read it truly, it keeps us from propping anybody up but Jesus. How do we kind of deal with that like jarring reality of seeing these broken people kind of in these roles where God's using them and look at our own lives and say like, man, I don't know how what I'm supposed to do with that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's even, you know, when you were talking about that, it brought to mind Romans and, and the argument of Romans being that there is sin and there's culpability for that sin. Punishment must come, but there's grace. Mm -hmm. But because there's grace, it doesn't mean that we go on sinning. Yeah. Like, why would we do that? That doesn't make sense. If, if you're rescued from enslavement, why would you return to be enslaved? And so how we reconcile this in our hearts and minds is not the fact that God is giving a stamp of approval on the actions of the characters, mm. but he's showing that despite the actions of the characters in disobedience or in even, you know, kind of aloof and just distant, like Xerxes is just kind of like following what everybody else tells him to do. Yeah. He's, he never makes a decision on his own. Yeah. It's fascinating. You know, he's... It's all advisors. It's all advisors. Now, why is that? Well, God is showing that even if someone is totally out to lunch, <laughs> he will still bring about his will. But like like Romans encourages us, don't, don't allow that grace to fall nowhere. Mm. You walk by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, you walk in obedience because you have the Spirit. And for us, as we think about how that works and, and thinking about him using wicked people... It's that we can let go of shame, guilt of the past. It means we got to deal with it because yeah. it doesn't just let go always, right? 
Um, but the power of the gospel of Jesus and his blood is that it washes away sin. We still have to deal with the consequences of sin, and we will. Yeah. But we, we deal with the consequences of sin, our wrong actions, our disobedience, by embracing um, his spiritual renovation of our hearts, minds, our desires, and our thinking so that we can be whole people again. And as we're whole people, then we see God moving and then we reach out with his love to others. That's the fuller picture. We can be broken, but we've been fixed. Mm. I mean, that's the beauty. We, we have to remember there is such a thing as the new covenant. Yeah. It's not the old covenant. We are renewed, regenerated. We are born again. Yeah. When we're born again, man, that is a huge piece to the puzzle of how do we overcome our brokenness? Mm. Well, you do it through reliance, trust, and faith in God and his work in Christ, and then your ability to start sifting through hmm. those old wrong inclinations and start to arrange them into the wisdom of God hmm. in his purposes and his plan. And so it's not that we embrace our brokenism and give excuse for our sin. Yeah. It's that we realize our, brokenism, our brokenness and we start to see how we can push through excuses hmm and into the freedom that Christ has provided. Yeah. That's a huge piece, and, and we see that not necessarily as clearly in Esther. We just see the allusions to the fact that God will bring about his purposes, no matter what. Yeah. But we know clearly, New Covenant people, the purposes of God in Christ was that we would be renewed. Mm. And so we have that. So we, we take that and we work out of that, not out of looking at all of the things as if God's name is not proclaimed in our own hearts and minds, because it is. Yeah. Unlike Esther. Yeah. Right? Esther's, the book, dismisses God's name, meaning it doesn't contain it, so that you see, well, well, how do I be someone who actually is not pushing God's name, his authority behind me, Yeah. but I'm actually seeing it in front of me? That's, that's a huge piece. If we can learn to do that, and yeah. we have the ability to do it, because of the blood of Christ, and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that changes everything about the way we operate. Yeah. And it, it, it's such a hopeful message, where this is just a message that is, it's got the hope that God, you know, will save, as we'll see in the, the weeks to come. But it also still just kind of ends with, okay. Yeah. Uh, another disaster averted. Yeah. What's next? Well, us, man, all disaster's been averted. mm how do we use our situations to glorify God? Yeah. Because his providential hand is still at work. So Yeah. Esther really teaches us almost how to look for God's providence. Yes. Because because his name isn't mentioned, it's almost this like great training ground in the book to say, like, where's God moving right mm -hmm. here? Like I, his name isn't ascribed to it, but how can I see him up to right. something? Because then hopefully you can take that and look at your own life and say, Oh man, I see God up to something in these spaces in my life. Right. And even though his name isn't ascribed to them, and maybe God's people now can come around me and start to say, hey, you see what he's up to over there? He's up to something. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, too, there is such great comfort when we see somebody used in Esther who is broken, because it means that same thing. Man, no matter where I've been or what I've done, it doesn't mean that God can't or won't use me. Right. God isn't exclusively using holy people. He's not exclusively no. using people who have it all together. He's using people to bring about his ultimate plan. And man, how much more 
do we have an opportunity to be used yeah. if we live in obedience to him? Right. And we can actually look with our life through a lens of what he's up to, and then we, we seek to be obedient to what he's up to, how much more are we going to be used than people who can't even ascribe his name to anything? Right. And, and even, you know, I love this coming out of the book of John, and, and seeing that whole, you know, section that we just, we just looked at in John 13 and on, this idea of Jesus's obedience or his will to do the will of the Father mm. is what his work was. Yeah, his work was the cross. That was the culmination of that obedience. But it was even before that, you know, he has been the one who has been remaining in God and God remaining in him. And this idea does help us see how God is working. Mm. And it's not always working so that we would have a good end. Like, you know, we would think culturally, oh, yeah, just healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah. Nah, maybe not. Like, that that wasn't the case for Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. His, his goal was to suffer and die as an example to us of what it means to give yourself over to life rather than death, and he conquered it on our behalf. So there's all of that where we have to be careful that we're not saying, oh, yeah, I want to be appointed a queen. I want to get my name proclaimed in the annals of the Persians or of the United States or whatever it is, right? Yeah. I want to be immortalized in some way. Stop looking for being immortalized because you already have been mm. in Christ, right? In Christ and through the, the resurrection of our hearts and minds because of his work, we have that already. Stop looking for that so distantly and start looking for that daily. Mm. When we look for it daily, then we stop holding on to the brokenness that defined us in the past, mm. and we start embracing the renovation that is defining us every day. We always are releasing that brokenness more yeah. fully. We have to. But we become lazy in that sometimes. Mm. And that's when we start to fall back to it. Mm. And and so it's a it's a great book to remind us that God God works and he works in mysterious and strange ways and he works over long periods of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's what's cool about this, right? This chapter two starts with, oh, we're coming back into the scene, but this is years later yeah. after chapter one. And then even Esther being appointed, she went through the 12 months of beauty treatments. Yeah. So this is at least a year after that. Like this is long periods of time. Yeah. God's working. Yeah. And he's patient. Yeah. You might be looking in the mirror day over day and being like, man, nothing is changing. Like if you were Esther or you're Mordecai and you're watching mm -hmm. this unfold day over day, it might not feel like anything's changing. And we don't even know necessarily how long Esther had been in that seat before Mordecai gets the information right. that he gets. And so just day over day, you might not see what God's up to, but it is this confidence that, man, he is at work. Right. And I think what a great, as we kind of land now on some practical stuff, mm -hmm. man, what a great practical thing to walk away with, to be like, yeah, it might in my spiritual walk, as I'm looking to see growth in this area or that area, day over day, the changes might not seem extreme. They might right. not seem like these huge strides in growth that I wish I was making. But that doesn't mean that God's not renovating that. And that doesn't mean that I don't, get, I don't have the option to participate with him in that today. 
And I think it's when we get out of the daily into like, man, God, I want to see the whole story. Mm -hmm. I think that's when we get discouraged and that's when we get kind of let down and we almost lose the energy to continue in the day over day transformation to become more like Christ because it is this very patient reality of saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to give my best to it today, yeah. and I might not be where I want to be, but I'm going to give my best to it today, and I'm going to continue to strive to live life in obedience to Him. Yeah, and and we have to remember who, who we're actually trying to get to notice us. Mm. And that's one of the things that, you know, you'll see maybe through Mordecai and other interactions through the book. It seems like he's trying to get notice. It seems like he's trying to get people to notice. We often try to do that in our own lives. We try to get noticed, whether that's by someone we love or by some cultural movement that we think we need to join or whatever it is. And what it means to essentially be, you know, a follower of Christ is that you recognize that you are noticed by Him, Hmm. that you're noticed by God, by identifying with Him. And, And... that's where it gets real practical because we stop living this life of chasing notice and we so much insecurity. Yes, we yeah. start to live in resting in the fact that we are known by God through mm. Christ. And that's you know, we are in him. Mm. Who is Christ? He was before the world began. He was with the Father and returning to the Father. And we start to become in him, right? When we are grafted into uh, the people of God through the work of Jesus, we are in him. Now we are seen and known by God. Mm. And, and, and so we don't need everybody else's notice. We need what we already have, which is to live up to the notice of God. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's in Christ and empowered by the Spirit, giving us the, the energy to do it appropriately. Dismiss wrong action and yeah. sinful ways of thinking and sinful responses that just come naturally. And we start to then dwell in this security of being known by God. And that's a real practical thing of God's providence. Know that you don't have to prove anything to anyone. Mm. You have to be what you have been made to be by Christ in the Spirit. And and if we do that, we stop looking for all the big things, and we start looking at the little things. Yeah, and start looking to become who we already are. Right. And say, man, he calls me holy and righteous and beloved, yeah. and I'm going to live as it this yeah. week. I'm going to live as it the next week. I'm going to continue in the in the slow daily rhythms right. to continue to live as that. Yeah. No, that's a great encouragement to walk away with. And the last thing practically that stands out to me, Brian, is like, how could we be freaked out by any politi- political leaders exactly. ever? Like, if Esther's got to be like just such great comfort to us to be like, no matter where you think your political leaders are at mentally, like... God is working still with kings who are completely aloof Aloof, and they have no idea what's going on and they're only looking out for themselves and God's still working. So I just think that we're in this bad pattern as Christians of like losing our mind every election season. Like, let's calm down a little bit. God, that's not going to prevent God from working. and We should hold on to that with confidence. Yep. Yep. And it's okay to have opinions, stances, and formulate ways of thinking. That's, That's important for us to do. But when we... When we heighten those, meaning we want those to be noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it comes back to that what's the most prominent? Because we somehow feel that if prominence comes about in this way or that way, it's going to somehow move things around. Mm. When in reality, 
what needs to be the most prominent is our devotion to God. Yeah. The faithfulness of God produces the faithfulness of his people, yeah. which produces other people's notice of his faithfulness. Like, that's such an important thing. That's what the book of Esther is about. Yeah. God is faithful to his people. Despite their disobedience, despite some of the messes that happen, he brings it all for full circle, mm-hmm. and he is worthy of trust yeah. because he's trustworthy. And so, that's yeah, good. we can't over... We can't overbuy into the political movements of the day. Yeah. Doesn't mean we ignore them, but we we more. How do we renovate and buy into God's political movement in our hearts? Mm, mm, that's good. That's good. Well, I hope you've got a tangible takeaway coming out of our conversation today or the message this weekend. As always, let us know there in the comments if you've got a question or something you're walking away from the message with. Uh, Don't forget to like the video, maybe share it with a friend, and subscribe to catch future videos. But that's all we got for this week. We'll catch you next week on Tangible Takeaways.